Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Garden Culture Podcast with me, Bailey Van Tassel. I am so excited to be back and uh, I've got an incredible guest that we are kicking things off with. And it is the lovely, the incredible Jill Winger. Our conversation is so fun. Anytime I talk to Jill, I wish that I had hours and hours of time because she is so thoughtful and she's so thorough in terms of research and just self-educating and knowledge, but she has written a new book. And so I really wanted for us to dive into that because if you guys know Jill Winger, she's a homesteader. She's um, known for being in like the prairie land and she's definitely someone who is canning. She's gardening. They've got a meat company. She's a major entrepreneur and she's been known in the past primarily for a lot of cooking and recipes, but she's moving beyond that and really trying to help inspire people to embrace a way of life that's really different. And I love this direction. I love this sort of To me, I was like, oh my gosh, Jill, this is like a legacy piece. And so you'll get to hear her talk about that and why she's doing this and why it's so important. And you guys are just going to love hearing from Jill because she's so smart and yet so humble and incredible. You are just going to love her. Beautiful Miss Jill Winger. I have you here today and I'm so excited about it. How are you? Doing great. I've been looking forward to this. Thanks for having me on. Likewise. Yes, of course. I was thinking back. So I want to jump in. Um, I was reflecting back on when I very, very first got to know you before you knew me. Um, and my mom had sent me one of your newsletters years ago. And I don't think you still do this, but it was when you used to like number the newsletter. Yep. Yep. And, you know, it'd be like newsletter number 21. And you would go through kind of like what you were working on and and reviewing. And I think you were dabbling with like some essential oils and olive oil, talking yes. about olive oil. And that was the first entry point where my mom being like, you, ha- you would be in love with this woman. Like you have to read her newsletter. And then I was obviously hooked. Um, yeah. But that was a while I, ago. Yeah. You've been around for a while. I feel <laughs> like an old timer. I know. Yeah. It was before I had my own pursuits really with my own like newsletter and blogging and business and all that. And so uh, it's fun to reflect and think about just how much consistency and dedication it takes to really, you know, pursue these dreams that I feel like you and I share some of the same. Um, Oh, yeah. You get it. I know you get it. And it's how cool that you you went on your own journey and look at look where you are now. I think that's so fun to look well, back on that. It is. It is. Yeah. Because I think a lot of days it feels, I don't know, you tell me if it still feels this way for you, but I think there are obviously tons of ups and downs as an entrepreneur. But most days I get to sit back and think, I built this. This is the dream. And I've really found a way to afford freedom to a certain yes. sense. I know freedom yeah. is very paramount to you. Um, it is. Yeah. And that's but, why I remind myself on the days when um, 
you know, because there's hard days, as you know, where you're like, this is horrible. Like, I don't want to be the boss today. I don't want to have to make these decisions. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? It's still this is still a privilege and it is a freedom. I'm like, this is why I do it. I take the stress of this sort of stress over the other type of stress because I I love that flexibility. It's the choose your hard mentality. Choose your hard, babe, all day long. I love it. Okay, so I want to go way back and I want to hear about your upbringing in your childhood a little bit Um, because we're going to talk about gardening and sort of replacing the grocery store to a degree. And I really want to hear about your new book. Um, Yeah. Because I've loved the cookbook. And I remember you're so good about recipe testing and just and theory testing, which I love because you really are a trusted resource in a sense of like, I know, I absolutely know with confidence, you're not going to talk about something or advocate for something unless you've put yourself through it and it's tried and true. Um, But I want to hear about like, when you were a kid, did you grow up gardening, homesteading, canning, all the things? Or was this, how did you come into this lifestyle, I guess? Yeah, great question. Um, People often assume I came from like Little House in the Prairie backgrounds. And I did not, you know, I totally did not, which I hope gives people hope. Yeah. (laughs) Because if I can do this, anyone could do this. I was raised really typical 90s kid in a little neighborhood. So my, my upbringing was conventional in that sense. Um, I, I was weird in the fact that we were homeschooled. We were one of like the earlier homeschool families, like 90s homeschoolers are a special breed. Like that's a whole mm. other topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was in that world. But my parents, they, they weren't really into farming. My mom didn't really like to cook. I remember her canning peaches like once in my childhood and it was like a, like sticky and hot. And I was like, this doesn't look like fun. And she's like, I don't think I like this. And so it wasn't a pivotal point of my life. Um, my dad did have a garden. We had a garden, I'd say most of my childhood. Oh, cool. But interestingly enough, I mean, it was more of like a token garden. It wasn't, we're going to grow our own food for the year. It's like, let's just do this because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually was a uh, seed treatment farm chemical salesman. Mm. Uh, so he's, he basically worked with a company that in a roundabout way is connected with Monsanto. And he sold all of the chemicals that we round up and all of those things that, that I rail against now on my platform. <laughs> it's rather ironic. So he loved those things. And so yeah. he would, to this day, he still sprays the yard with all the chemicals and he puts all of the like he would get leftover nitrogen fertilizer mm. for, farm, for farms and he would have leftover boxes. So he'd stick that in his garden. And we had all our seeds were pink because they were treated with like chemicals. So they mm-hmm. were supposed to sprout better and stuff. So I grew up very much. I remember the chemical smells in the garden of my childhood. Well, but this is manure. great because now yeah. you can just blame dad for absolutely anything. Totally. It's like I have <laughs> <Yes>. eczema <laughs> because of you, dad. Thank you. Yep, totally. It was the roundup. <laughs> it was the roundup. But yeah, so... I, I I remember like literally gardening and this chemical smell. I still correlate my parents' garden. Yeah, with that. It's so yeah. Funny. But I still found things I loved in that garden. And I yeah. still, it still placed those seeds, if you will, mm-hmm. of I love being outside barefoot and I love yeah. tasting the spinach right from the garden. And I love how this feels. And I, there was something, even though I lived in a neighborhood and this garden was tiny and it was kind of like a little hobby thing, there was something that stirred in me when I'd go outside yeah. to pick I just was like, this is something. I I feel something out here. I didn't know what it was, but it was those beginnings kind of taking root. I want to test the theory, but I feel like every single person I've talked to, um, and a big premise for even this podcast is is really unearthing people that maybe aren't even professionally gardeners or anything, but like they were exposed to it to a certain degree. I want to wager to say that if someone has exposed you 
to gardening and even nature in a really beautiful way in your childhood, like it's in there. And I think biologically, yes. as humans, we we want that. Like we crave nature and we need the soil like it needs us. Like I think it's a very innate and sort of symbiotic relationship. And so if people have been exposed to it, I feel like it's it's in there. At least I hope that. And I feel I was the same. I, I actually, I wanted nothing to do with anything in nature whatsoever until I was like in my 20s, really. My parents were like yeah. so into it. But it's amazing that you did get that exposure to a degree. Um, when did you start really like developing your own process and like your own, like weaving it into your own lifestyle? At what point, like in your journey? So that came later. So I, well, I wasn't, I didn't know, I mean, homesteading wasn't a thing back then. I didn't really <laughs> expect to become a farmer because in my perception, farmers and ranchers, you have to be born into that. Right. And there's still yeah. some of that perception out there. It's pretty hard to get into those things unless you inherit it. So I, I knew yeah. that I, those were not in the cards for me because I wasn't born into those families. But I had this horse thing. I was yeah. one of those horse girls, you yeah. know. And so that was like the little nudge, the tap on the shoulder that kind of started pulling me into something different. And so mm -hmm. at age 18, I moved to Wyoming to do a horse program at a community college. I met my husband uh, and we started, we got engaged, we got married, we started looking for our first home. And it was kind of at that point where I knew we wanted property for the horses. I knew I didn't want to just um, do what everyone else was doing and kind of fall in line. I knew we wanted to be different, but I, I still, it was still very subconscious. And so much of my journey towards homesteading and gardening and just, and being an entrepreneur, it's like there was these little intuitive nudges inside mm -hmm. of me that I couldn't articulate, but they were always there. And, yeah. and, and when I started to listen to them, it has led me down amazing paths. And so it was this little thing inside me going, do something different. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. And yeah. so at that point, it looked, the different was we buy this tumble down farmstead 40 miles from town <laughs> and we put our horses on it. Mm -hmm. And so that was the, the plan. We, we bought it, we signed the papers and almost simultaneously that the little nudge showed up again and it was like, grow something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't grow things. Like, that's not me. I, I'm not like, I'm riding horses. I'm a cowgirl. I'm not like, what are you talking about? And it was mm -hmm. like, be productive, produce, like mm -hmm. make something of the land. And so as I kind of ruminated on that, I'm like, well, that feels good because now we have this big honking mortgage. We're young, you know, young newlyweds and I can justify it in my mind. Yeah. If I'm growing some tomatoes, it'll, you know, cancel out the mortgage. Yeah, Not yeah, really, you're but creating an like ROI, 20, yeah. Yeah, I was like 22 years old. I'm like, it sort of works out, that's <laughs> fine. So that's where the, again, I didn't know it was called homesteading because it wasn't popular back then. Yeah. But that's when I started to go, well, what's a compost pile? And mm. wh what could I dig up and where could I put my garden plot? And that got me into my own version of gardening. And I I'd say at the beginning, I started off really conventionally because I didn't mm -hmm. know any better. We tilled up the ground, um, just right, just a patch of prairie mm -hmm. dirt on the side of the yard. And I put horse manure on it because that that's what I had access to. And mm -hmm. just started planting the old normal way. But yeah. that slowly blossomed into more education and more understanding of what was happening within yeah. the garden itself. Well, and one of my favorite things to ask always is what what your favorite resources have been in learning, like if you have books or people or YouTube channels or whatever. Um, so I want to know that. But I, one thing I am curious about too is I feel like when back in the day, but you know, not that long ago, but before influencers and major bloggers and internet earth people happened, I feel like it was actually easier to learn some of these skills by way of people who had to publish books on them and have like really good knowledge. But I'm curious how yeah. you 
how you kind of self-taught. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I think it actually was easier in a sense because I w- it wasn't so noisy. And I think if I would have been coming into it now, uh, you could totally still do it, but I would have been more overwhelmed with like, well, this person says this method and this one says this. So yeah. I literally, we did, I didn't have YouTube. I didn't even have a great internet connection then. I had somewhat of a connection, but I just went to the library and got piles of books. I, I remember I got Stories Guide to Dairy Goats and I got a book on composting and I got gardening books. And it's funny because a lot of those were from like they were remnants from the 1970s back to the land Ooh, movement because, yeah. you know, we didn't have our modern homestead influencers yet. And so I was just, I love it was that. just yeah, solid info, just old school. Um, One of the first books that challenged my gardening paradigm to go from, you know, mm. dad's garden to Jill's yeah. garden was Ruth Stout's mm. No Work Garden Book. Yeah. And it was from straight up 1970s. It smelled like an old book. It was you know, yellowed pages and it was in my grandfather's estate. And I got it in a pile of stuff when he That's died. That's what it and, is. That's yep, like and the I, treasure gold. gold of yeah, life. It is. And I started looking at this and I'm like, whoa, this is like blowing my mind. And that was the first time I, with a garden that I was like, I could be different. I, yeah. I don't have to do it like everybody else. So good old Ruth Stout got me started on my do my weirdness, you I guess. use any of her methods now, like for potatoes? I know it's really popular, the Ruth Stout me- method with like the rotted hay. Yeah, I I ha- I used her method very successfully for a number of years. And then I, I'm sure you've run into this in your internet travels. I got into the herbicide contamination with mm. the amino pyrrolids. And so I think it was my second or third year. I my, my, the, the, my garden loved that mulch. Like I it was the happiest I'd ever seen my soil. And the third year, the tomatoes started curling. They weren't dying. They were just like curly and gnarly. And I did research and I realized what was happening. So I had to stop using the method. Um, I still love good deep mulch. And so it's really hard for us to find hay locally that I know has not been sprayed. And I'm so gun shy now because yeah. it's a horrible thing to deal with. So now I use grass clippings. Mm-hmm. And I use it's similar. It's not exactly what Ruth's taught, but it's very similar. Like I will pile grass clippings as high mm-hmm. as I can mm-hmm. in my beds. And um, man, it's the happiest soil you've ever seen. I so love I still that. use pieces of it. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny. Um, so, and this is a little bit of a digression, but around the time that you got, so I guess for anyone listening, last year you had a really bad batch last year, right? Of soil yes. to start your potting seedlings soil. in potting yes. soil. Yes. And I had a sponsorship deal with a brand that you had had a bad experience with. And people were oh. sending me your message because that company owns a lot of different brands under their okay. umbrella. Yes. Um, however, it really took me down a rabbit hole as well of how is bagged soil being made mm-hmm. and, and, and what is quote unquote organic and yes. what can you get away with? And it really exposed me to a lot of, I mean, inconvenient truths and realities in the gardening industry. Um, but it really widened my knowledge in terms of like just wood chips and their their use and just treatment of things. And I don't know, yeah. I, I'm really excited and I would love for you to tell us about how much of what you consume you grow because talking mm-hmm. about sort of replacing the grocery store in the market, but how you've had to adjust your methods along the way to create success like that and kind of what you've done. So I love the way you've sort of amended your approach based on Ruth Stout to find something that's healthy and works for you. Because often we will find that like if something's working and then it's not, you have to investigate to see what's going on. Yeah. 
And I think that's so important. And I think this is a part, this is a blessing and a curse of the online information age mm-hmm. is, you know, we have all this information. So thankfully I was able to go curled, type in curled tomato leaves when I mm-hmm. got my first batch of herbicide contamination and figure out from other people's pictures what was happening. If I hadn't had the internet, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah. However, the other side of the, the double-edged sword is I think people, we have so much information available. We get into this mode where we think we have to have a recipe or a formula for everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that stops a lot of people because, you know, they get into a hard spot and they're like, I got to find someone to tell me how to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there isn't someone mm-hmm. to tell you. You have to do the detective to work. And so critically think on your own. Yeah. Critical thinking, man. <laughs> it's 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 hard to do sometimes. And so that's what I, I think the one of the biggest lessons gardening here on the homestead has taught me. Well, just life in general, but gardening especially has stretched me to go, your problems it might not be, you know, we live in a harsh climate. Wyoming's mm-hmm. weird. It's difficult. A lot of times I have problems other people aren't having, or at least the majority of the internet is not having. And so I have to be the big girl and figure out what's going on. But it's made me a better critical thinker. It's given me more knowledge. Like you said, you had to go, you know, go down the rabbit hole of potting soil. What's happening in the potting soil industry? Those are good things to do. They're yeah. hard at the time. It's like, sometimes you're like, I don't know if I can find it. But when you do, it feels good. And then you're so much better and wiser at the other end. So yeah, I, I, did I answer your question? I'm trying to remember yeah, what you started no, with. No, definitely. Okay. Well, and I'm going to follow up with the second part. But I, I feel like the more we investigate one area, the more you start to see parallels in other areas. And you start yeah. to see these weird agendas playing out in all the industries. And it's really... Yes. I think it does make you better. And I know personally, gardening is something that just happened to it happened to be the thing that brought me back to myself and really leaning on my own instincts and my own, like you're saying, critical thinking skills. And then that poured over into other areas of my life and the way I raise my kids and like the experience of being a mom and all of that, where you're like, I needed to be tapped in. And I think gardening is such a beautiful, I don't know, sort of just hotbed of analogies really for for life in general. Um, But okay. So what I wanted to know now was how, um, how much of what you grow replaces the grocery store? Like how much, what percentage are you growing, consuming? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. (laughs) So um, let's see. I haven't, I don't have an exact tally. I'll give you kind of the the bird's eye view. So we raise pretty much a hundred percent of our meat, our beef and chicken. Beautiful. We raise probably mm, 50 to 60 percent of our dairy mm-hmm. um in the summer you know it's 100 percent. but then during our dry seasons we amend and sometimes i buy things like sour cream and butter because it's hard to make those year-round as far as vegetables go wyoming is trickier than some climates and so um we're doing a lot better like i grow pretty much all of like everything i need for tomato sauce and canned tomatoes i grow all of that we grow potatoes and onions to get us through probably 70% of the year normally, maybe a little bit less than that. Mm-hmm. And then we put in a greenhouse a couple of years ago. So that's enabled me to grow more greens and cold weather crops. It's still, it's unheated. So I still, you know, I'm not growing bananas year round or anything, <laughs> but I can get some stretch on my lettuce <laughs> and my spinach and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and then the rest, um, I know the other vegetables, I, I'm pretty standard on what we're growing here, you know, the the roots and the yeah. the beans. And so I, I would say at least 60% probably yeah. of our vegetable consumption we're growing ourselves. That's huge. 
Yeah. That's huge. Is that, so tell me, is that a part of, tell me about this new book that you're writing. I was just looking, I'm very excited about it. Um, and I'm curious how um, gardening plays into kind of what you're going to cover in the new book. Yeah. I'm excited about it too. Um, so it's, people are always like, is it a cookbook? And I'm like, nope, it's not a cookbook. It's a, it's a book book, a reading book. Um, so we kind of, <laughs> I, I literally had people, if they've heard me on the podcast, I literally had to ask my agent that I've told the story before. I'm like, what is this called? It's not a DIY book. It's not a cookbook. And he's like, it's a reading book. It's a reading book. <laughs> okay. Noted. <laughs> noted. <laughs> oh my God. Like what section funny. are you going to be at in Barnes and Noble? Yeah, I think it, I mean, I'm not sure. It, it's actually been a little tricky for even my publisher. They're like, I don't know how this fits into a category because it's. Uh, inspirational and it's it's a kind of a cultural commentary but it also has practical yeah. pieces so it's it's yeah. definitely non-fiction but I'm not sure the exact like pigeonhole it has stories but it's yeah. not a memoir so it's yeah. kind of its own little thing I um, love this yeah but it started off with this question and I or, or more of an observation really where I started to look over the last decade of the improvements that homesteading has brought into my life and mm. how much more alive I have felt after partaking in this lifestyle and how good it has been for every part of me and my family's existence. And then I, you know, I'm in this warm, fuzzy feeling. And then I started to go, well, if this is so important and so crucial, then what do I do for all the people who cannot move to a homestead mm. and they, or they don't want to move to a homestead? Because I feel like these principles are too important to just what makes us human to only mm. stay on the farm, right? Yeah. They have to be redistributed in our modern culture because we've kind of lost a lot of those pieces. Yeah. And so it's really an exploration into how we can get back some of those foundational principles of what just makes us human and what keeps us sane and balanced and grounded. And so I call it old fashioned on purpose. And it's because it's really not just about homesteading. It's about yeah. a bigger mindset as a whole and how we can recapture that. And so there's eight pillars in the book, eight different pieces that people can grab a hold of. And I think the very first one is grow your own ingredients. And yeah. so we talk about what that looks like, because I know not everyone has a big garden space or a backyard yeah. or 60 acres. And so we talk about why that's important and how you can do that, even if you don't live on a lot of land. Because again, I think that's a foundational piece of us. And like you were saying, we crave nature. We need nature. It's important to um, our mental health and our physical health. And so just kind of helping people find those pieces again is what the book is all about. That's awesome. I think that's so important. And I do feel like there's this resurrection happening. And even people that aren't, I mean, there is this very aspirational component to like living this sort of bucolic lifestyle that not everyone yeah. can have. But I do think it is important. Like these are the, this is the legacy, right? Like this is yes. what you've been, I don't know. I feel like this is you being such an amazing steward of sort of the the giftings that you've had and like the great experiences is being able to sort of leave us wherever you are, be able to find this information that you've gleaned. And you're such a beautiful writer. I feel like so do such oh, a good job you. of helping people really feel what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like especially as culture's changing so fast right now, and I think everyone's feeling it. I think COVID kind of helped us all feel a little more unsettled than normal. And yeah. then it's not really gone away. Everyone's just a little bit, um, they feel extra searching right now. Yeah. Kind of unmoored. And I feel like um, 
as we move into this future and things are changing so fast and so much more technology and, and things like the metaverse and artificial uh, intelligence. Mm. I always want to say artificial insemination because we have cows. So <laughs> I always have to be like, no, Jill, don't say it. It's intelligence. <laughs> anyway. The um, metaverse like keeps me up at night for our yeah. kids. Like it, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, although I'm yeah, like, maybe and, I should be buying land and like, like agricultural land in the metaverse. Right. right. I'm, uh, there's like that part of me where I'm like, no, fight it. And then I'm like, but I am an early adopter and I like to take right. risks. So I wonder, I wonder like, should, how that works out for me. Don't you think we should start some farms in the metaverse and just... I think we might need to be the first ones to like plant some stuff over there. I don't know. Um, but it reminds me of a this Wendell Berry quote, and I'm going to butcher it, mm-hmm. but he says something along the lines of uh, the future will be divided among those who wish to live as machines and those who wish to live as humans. Oh, and I, that just gave me the chills. I've never heard I that. Know. Isn't it isn't it good? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I see happening. People are are like, how robotic can we be? How much artificial intelligence can we use? How much can we live in the metaverse? How can we escape our humanity? Mm. It's almost like uh, I heard someone on a podcast the other day. It's like they're like they're it's like they're angry at nature. It's like they're shaking their fist at nature. And I see that and I'm like, I feel like now more than ever, we need these principles. Like, sure, if yeah. I don't know what the metaverse will equal, maybe you go dip your toe in that, but you still need to be planting some basil in your windowsill to keep your hands mm-hmm. in the soil mm-hmm. so you remember mm-hmm. where you came from. And I feel like that's so important. I totally agree with you. And I think, it, I mean, totally to your point of like trying to escape our humanity, I think the gateway drugs are really convenience. Yes. Um, and that, I think it's really that convenience and comfort and the first thing to go is character. Now we oh, are man. losing resilience. Yeah. We're losing a sense of confidence because I mean, there's, you have to be learning constantly to be cultivating a sense of confidence and self-esteem, right? And I think that yes. is, you know, nature is an incredible equalizer, but it, it also does a really good job of of humbling you in a beautiful way, but also building you up in a beautiful way where it's like, no, I actually have these incredible capabilities. And you really tap back into those instincts that I think are really crucial for critical thinking and engaging fully in life. And I don't know, you. I think to a certain degree, we don't want to numb out the peaks and valleys. Like that's a part of being human. And why are we trying to just be so comfortable? I don't know. It's just I feel like everyone's also starting to look the same. Like, it's like, it's just this. I know. <laughs> I have so thought that I've ranted to my sister about it. I'm like, they all look the same. <laughs> They're all getting the same stuff done to their face. Yes. Look- I know. I know. I feel very, I've not done any interventions physically. And I feel like as annoying that is, I feel like a little proud about it. Yeah. You know, I want to like, look like okay. me. I want to look like, I just like, even if it's not the, idealized beauty image I want to look like myself like different yeah, like it's yeah. different's good y'all it's yeah. good <laughs> but it's like yeah. I think I mean I live in the suburbs and Orange County where it's like mm. you know you've got it's it's literally you could do drive-through Botox you know um yes, yes. and so that that's a whole nother story but yeah. um I think that's brilliant that you're getting this information out there in a way that stretches beyond your diehard homestead fans, you know, and that kind of seeps into the culture a little bit. And I think, cause I think that's yeah. what really we need is a, a cultural shift. We need people to really be pushing into mainstream of it. Yeah. And that's my goal with a book, but just with my platforms as I've kind of matured and figure out who I am and what I want to speak about. It's like, I'm like, I don't want it to just be pigeonholed into homesteading. Like this is yeah. way too important for that. We cannot afford yeah. to alienate ourselves and go into our little hermit holes of here. I got my chickens in my garden. Leave me alone. We can't do that. 
We yeah. have to be good advocates and bringing this to the culture because, I mean, not I'm not saying I have all the answers or this is going to like save the world, but it's really, really important, especially yeah. as we get spinning faster, faster, faster. Like we have to keep this piece of ourselves. So pillar one is grow your own ingredients. What's another favorite pillar from the book that you feel like is really, really paramount? Food I, or, you know, cooking. I, mm. Of course, I'm a, I, people know I'm a, a fanatic about that. And that kind of goes right along with the growing your own ingredients. I talk about cooking like great grandma um, mm. and just the simplicity of from scratch, not only for our physical health, like that's kind of the obvious benefit, but there's so much, it's just like gardening, like there's so much about our mental health that goes into cooking and using our hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a bunch of really interesting research about, it's called the effort driven rewards cycle, where when we use our hands for tangible things, not pushing buttons, that it actually releases chemicals in our brain, like the happy chemicals, the satisfying chemicals. And so you think about our the average person who we're spending all day typing and tapping and pressing buttons and we're not getting our hands in in the dirt or in the dough or making mm. crafts or just moving them like no wonder a lot of people are feeling out of sorts with their mental health and so mm-hmm. we talk about cooking in terms of here's how to make biscuits or here's why you should make biscuits and here's why it's rewarding and here's some chips for it but also like here's why it's more than just the food it's really yeah. the whole the whole human experience we need to keep keep track of i totally agree and i think that is um something anyone can do even if they're in New York, you know, in Manhattan, is you can yes. bake your own bread. You yeah. know what I mean? Or you, and you can even go to like, you know, a farmer's market and just be handling the herbs and and reawakening your senses, I think, to a certain degree. Yes. Um, I love I love that. The reawakening. I think it's so important because I think um modern life dulls our senses so much, like on on so many things, even just our taste buds of we're so used to the industrialized food and the processed food that all kind of tastes the same and it's all fairly bland, a lot of fat, a lot of sugar. And then getting into nature awakens those, uh, the different tastes of the vegetables and how they might taste it from your backyard versus my backyard, the yeah. different varieties of a tomato. I think all of those things are such an awesome uh, thing to awaken. Yeah. Okay. So um, a quick question I have for you is if you, if someone just listened to this and they're like, okay, I'm super inspired, but I don't have a ton of land. Obviously I'm buying the book, but then what do I do to get started? Like, what would you tell someone if they came to you and they're like, help me get back to me? What would you say? Mm, yeah, I, I would say start figuring out how you can bring more life back into your kitchen. I'd say that's the first place to start because everyone's going to have a kitchen of some sort. No matter, like even if you live in Manhattan, like you said, and you're eating three times a day, probably or more or less, <laughs> or eat a little less, but mostly three times a day. And yeah. so figure out what you're eating the most of and then either figure out how you can make it or make it sometimes or learn more about it or figure out how you can source it where it's more direct from the earth. Mm. So that could be a farmer's market. It could be a rancher down the road or a rancher in your community or a farmer in your community. Just see if you can start to use the food you're eating because you already have to think about it, right? It's not Mm -hmm. like it's something completely new to add into your calendar. You're already thinking about food in some sort. So just trade out some of the time thinking about food and, and just do it in a different light to where you are um, sourcing it in a more natural way and see what happens. I love that. I love that. Okay. And then the other side of the coin would be, what are you, is there anything, I'm assuming that there is, that you still feel like you have to learn, like that you're looking forward to or that you're like, what are you digging into right now? That's kind of keeping you awake at night or you're researching or just like, just starting to like, you're not the expert, you're learning on it. Yeah. Oh, so many things. Um, I think there's two pieces of that. 
uh, the first one I, I have, I feel pulled towards it. Like it's that little nudge. It's a new nudge that I feel tapping yes. on the shoulder, but I, I can't quite articulate it yet, but I feel like I'm so uh, interested in this idea of how much of our culture, um, even down to uh, the, you know, how we map time and, and how we count years or, or the days of the week, like how much of that is just kind of this human construct that we've all fallen into and how much of that we can peel back when we get closer to nature in the patterns of mm. natural cycles. And so I've listened to some podcasts about that. I'm just starting to like, my brain's firing and the, you know, so I'm starting to think it, about it. Yeah. Would it kind of be like the human observation of time? Yeah. And, and also just like really digging into are more of our ancestral. I know I know the ancestral thing is its whole whole movement. I don't buy into all of that, but like mm. what did it look like to be human before the industrial revolution? Like yeah. really or even farther back, like when we were living in a tribal situation, um like what what was our body doing and yeah. how was our body reacting to that and the different lights and the different foods and like really digging into that and seeing how much of what we consider to be normal now is really just society yeah, yeah, yeah. telling us what's normal. No, I love this. Um, I'm really excited for you to dig into this for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so report back, please. Yes, um, <laughs> no, but I remember hearing someone say something on this note about, and again, yes, like, and I get it, like ancestral wisdom is like trending right now, which is so annoying because yeah. it's like, okay, yeah. I'm not trying to be cool. I just actually totally. want information. I just actually want to know more. Yeah. <laughs> um, but somewhere, and I don't know the truth of this. So I don't know, but they were saying something about way back. And again, like a tribal situation, people actually didn't typically sleep through the night. You would mm -hmm. do very, and it would sort of follow like a REM cycle, like four hour chunks because people were staying up sort of like keeping the fires burning. And yeah. there was a concept where, cause our circadian rhythms and our sleep and the sunlight and all of that is a thing. But like you're saying, how much of it is actually sort of been constructed for us at some point? And yeah. I just always feel like you do this research and you find like some, I feel like they always find some obscure like psychologist in air quotes that has some sort of a theory that's shaped our culture in a really profound way that's bizarre. Yes. But totally. I do remember yeah. like reading some, <laughs> reading something about that um, where they were saying something like it's actually somewhat unnatural for humans to expect to get like eight to 10 hours of consecutive sleep. Um, right. Anyways, I don't know. I'm sure yeah. there's like a Huberman type person that's done some research i'm sure but that, i just love that stuff because even yeah. if like I, even if i'm not gonna wake up every four hours to like stoke an imaginary fire it just makes me think <laughs> like okay what are you know what else am i assuming is the way it is but really is just a construct what else can i push the boundaries on what else can i ask questions about yeah so i think i just love when that's shaken i know some times that makes people uncomfortable but i, I kind of like that oh my yeah. gosh wait what if i what if i'm wrong what if what i've thought is not the case. Then well, I think our mind plays such a strong role in all of it. And a recent example for me, I had with my third child, I just had, I did like an unmedicated labor and this is not to mm. get like a gold star, but the difference in just my mental state going into that with a different set of expectations completely changed the dynamic of everything. And it just proved yeah. to me how much expectations and just sort of existing knowledge shifts my mind and how much control I have in rewriting the script and really just kind yeah. of deciding something different. And that sounds, I feel like that sounds really arrogant, but I do think that there's a certain degree in which we can sort of decide something different. Oh, absolutely. So much more than we think we can. Yeah. And totally. what we've been told we can. Yeah. Totally. I love that. 
I feel like um, it would be so fun to be a fly on the wall to see you teach these things to your kids. It's that I would say that's one of my favorite parts of parenting so far is to teach them how to ask questions and go, you know, I know this is what you might see here or you hear this person say this or, you know, the food pyramid picture that you're seeing on that box is telling you this thing about food. But like, <laughs> let's let's dig deeper or, you know, just to to present it to them like, well, here's one way that people farm and here's another way that people farm. And yeah. then just talking, talking through. I think it's so fun. It's so fun. I feel like they're going to be so much further ahead than me because I had to sort through all of the yeah. narratives that I had been given yeah. before I could shed them and yeah. think outside the box. And they're, yeah. I'm hoping they'll be, you know, able to think outside the box a lot yeah. sooner than I was. I love that. Um, okay. One more quick gardening question is how much, well, and cause kind of was just thinking about your family dynamic and your kids, how much time do you feel like you dedicate to the growing your own like veggies component, like the gardening part of life? Yeah. Um, it really varies throughout the year, of course. Um, yeah. You know, where I'm actually was thinking of it today, I'm like, oh, it's coming. I can feel it. Like, it's going to get real crazy where we're going to have to get everything prepped and everything planted and everything established. So end of May, beginning of June uh, is pretty intense. Many hours a day out in the garden, getting things going. And then we kind of get in that honeymoon stage of gardening after that, where it's I, I have automatic water sprinklers hooked up and then um, I try to mulch as much as possible. So Midsummer, it's not too bad. I'll go out maybe 20 minutes a day and check mulch, weed a little bit, but it's pretty self-sufficient. Is um, all of your mulch the grass clippings? Sorry to interrupt. It is. It is right okay. now. Just because, yeah, I would use, hey, I, I tried using some straw last year, mm -hmm. but it has so much seed in it. It was like an epic lawn in that bed. So I was like, yeah. mm, not doing that again. Yeah. So grass clippings are my best bet right now. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then in the fall, it gets intense again, we're trying to harvest everything <clears throat> before the frosts come. And so that's, you know, multiple hours a day canning or picking or freezing. Yeah. Uh, and then in the winter, I don't do really anything. I'll, I'll dink around in the greenhouse. Um, but I love that gardening seasonal. I don't know if I could keep it up 365 days a year. I think I would fatigue. So I like yeah. that I can have seasons of push and seasons of rest. Yeah. Yeah. People always say that like, oh my God, you're so lucky because we can grow year round 365. You can, can't you? Yeah. 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 And I'm like, it's amazing, but we have a different pace though. So like we yes. don't typically have like get everything in the ground for, you know, a week or two in May and then scramble. Like every, it's, it's a much more easygoing pace. That's um, true. That's a good I point. I yeah. had to sort of relearn. I mean, I had to learn gardening all over again quickly after I kind of first got the hang of it for it to really make sense for my hardiness zone. Um, yeah. Are you guys pretty traditional within your the like hardiness zone that you're in? Do you kind of follow any of that? I think we're five A or B. Dang it, I used to know. I yeah. used to, uh, now I'm second guessing myself. I think B, B, B. So yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty traditional. I, yeah, we're pretty dead on when they say the first and last frost states are coming. Yeah. It's usually right on the money. So yeah. I, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> but you guys get a ton of wind. We do not as not as bad in the summer, which is okay. our saving grace. But nice. in the winter, I mean, we can have 70, 80 mile an hour winds on a regular basis. That's not unheard of. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. OK, so I know you told me about the Ruth Stout book that you found, but I'm curious if there are any other resources that you feel like have been really paramount for you in a gardening sense. Yeah, um, I wrote I wrote a few down because I always forget the name. So um Elliot Coleman, I love his books and yeah. I I wouldn't, I don't follow everything he does, like does exactly, but he's really helpful to me because he's in a, a similar zone, even though I think he's in New Hampshire, New England. Um, 
So it's a little different, but he's in a similar zone. So I really loved his cold frame in his greenhouse books because he really inspired me that I could grow a greenhouse here in Wyoming. Yeah. Um, I love, there's this kind of obscure book called How to Grow Food in a Polytunnel by Mark Gator or Gatter. Um, and it's been really helpful for my my greenhouse, which is just a, a big cold frame in essence. And then um, Second Nature by Michael Pollan. Yes. Is not, yeah, you, I'm sure you love that one. It, you know, not a how-to book, but so inspiring. Like just made me want to go like roll around in the garden and just like bask in it when I got done reading that book. It was so good. Yes. Um, and then kind of a gardening book, but more of like a big picture book. But I'm going to recommend it anyway is Unsettling of America by Wendell Berry. Oh, just for big picture. And um, it's it's deep. Like you have to bite off a piece of Wendell Berry's writings and chew on it for a while because he's he's, you know, not heavy, but he he's super smart. So you have to work through what he's yeah, saying. Um, but just his perspective of culture and how we became specialized and how we started exploiting the earth instead of working with the earth shaped so much of what I'm doing here on the homestead now in the garden and elsewhere. I so I, I think it's one everybody should read. I think I'm going to order that because I haven't read it's that. It's good. Yeah. And I need to start. I just, I can't consume enough information like that or like, you know, just sort know. of all of that stuff. It's like, I, there's not enough time in the day. I hear you. I hear you. My pile of books is large and I keep <laughs> buying more. And I'd really, I'm like, you know what? This it's is my an addiction. So I know, but it is, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I need to have some sort of an unwritten rule where it's like, okay, once I get like five unread, I need to like cap my yeah. I need someone to control the frenzy you <laughs> cut me off I need an intervention <laughs> yeah Seriously. it's like a good kind of addiction I suppose yeah I don't know yep. oh my gosh well thank you first of all for for gracing us and being on the podcast I'm super excited to see what you do next because I feel like you've really brought us full circle and like really shown the world so much about homesteading and cooking and growing and there but there's so much more and I feel like this next chapter is going to be really exciting so I'm really yeah. like excited to be a, continuing to subscribe to the newsletter after all these years yeah. well thank you for still um, subscribing yeah. yes um but tell everyone where they can find you if they want more information and when when this book comes out because I'm really excited about it yeah so um Prairie Homestead or the prairiehomestead.com is kind of the hub of all my stuff. So you can find all the things there. Uh, Instagram is the social platform I'm most active on and it's jill.winger if you want to follow along there. And then the book, it's called Old Fashioned on Purpose. It will be out September 26th um, and you will be able to get it anywhere books are sold. But if you pre-order it from Amazon or Barnes and Noble, you get a bunch of bonuses from me. And also pre-orders, if just insider tip, it goes a long way to help the book make a bigger splash. So yeah. kind of my mission is let's get this out into the world, not just our homesteading circles. And so mm -hmm. if you want to help with that mission, pre-order it and it will it will help out in a big way. I love it. I love it. You can count me in on that. So awesome. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. And I'm like I said, I'm excited to to stay in touch and follow along. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. Awesome. Well, we'll chat soon. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.